This is Dale Jr., and you're listening to Dirty Mo Radio. So I had these children, and Lainey will roll her eyes that I'm telling you this because she's like, why do you always tell people when you're alone with the kids? I do it all the time. But I was ready. I was so ready for her to come home. I managed all right. But, it, I mean, it's like a tornadic event happened in my home. Yeah. <laughs> Welcome to Fast Lane Family with Kelly Earnhardt Miller. Welcome to Fast Lane Family presented by Charlie Soap. Charlie Soap has a solution for every tough cleaning job that you need to tackle. If you want to know more about their products, go to charliesoap.com. If you like what you see, you can purchase directly from their website or use their store locator to find a retailer near you. This week in studio, I've got the awesome Marty Smith, lead NASCAR <laughs> reporter for ESPN, writer for ESPN.com. I like being called awesome. Awesome. Thank you. <laughs> I, I appreciate you having me. Well, I'm so glad that you were um, able to be here on short notice because I actually just texted you this morning. <laughs> it's all right. Uh, you know, it was a little bit of a, a nutty morning, though. So I left Talladega last evening at, uh, I, I guess I got to Atlanta around 10. I turned in my rental car, went to the hotel, had a beer, went to bed, and I got up at 4 for a 5.50 flight home. Got home, got my kids, took my kids to carpool, came home, took a little nap, started writing scripts. I'm um, I'm going to do the Hornets season opener here coming up, so I'm writing some scripts for the NBA team, and I'm actually doing a really cool piece for the World Series coverage on your daddy and Ned Yost. Oh, cool. The Kansas City Royals uh, manager. Yes. And his commentary on your father was just so passionate. It was awesome. They were boys, man. <laughs> they were. And, you know, some of the things he said, I'll give a little preview of the piece. But one thing that I thought was really cool is the general manager of, I think it was the Arizona Diamondbacks, uh, I want to say, whom uh, Yost used to manage for was interviewing him for that job and he asked him who were your mentors and he had never been asked that question before and he said uh, it was crystal clear answer there were three of them bobby cox taught me how to treat people well and taught me the game of baseball and then there was another gentleman that taught him how, like how to the strategy of baseball and then there was dale earnhardt who taught me how to compete and what competition really means hmm. and that's kind of the foundation of the story so cool yeah man so I've been working on all that stuff, and then I got your text. <laughs> and, man, Lainey, I was saying to you ladies before I came in, my wife, Lainey, loves this show. She's so <laughs> pumped. She's, I was like, man, I, you know, I'm going to try to squeeze it in because I want to do this for Kelly. And she was like, yeah, hell yeah, you're going to squeeze it in. That's what I was like. She was on my side. She yeah, drop the back. kids off. I got That's it. That's right. <laughs> Thank you, Lainey. <laughs> yes. Well, good. I'm glad she's enjoying it because that, that, that was our purpose, wasn't it, Amanda? <laughs> yes. <laughs> so we're going to back up a minute because you got started off and talking about all these great things you're doing. But I, and I'm going to be learning here, like I do most every time I'm interviewing somebody. You know, how did you get involved? I read that you thought you were on your way to maybe a baseball career in some I, fashion. Yeah, and I, <laughs> that, that, that was a... Uh, Let's call that a dream. A dream, okay. Because there's everybody this, needs to dream. Yes, there's this one very important aspect of having athletic aspirations, and it's called talent. <laughs> and I didn't have a whole lot of that. I did go to college at first to play baseball, and I really enjoyed it. That didn't work out. I transferred schools. That did work out uh, because I didn't get to play baseball at the second school I went to called Radford University in Virginia. That then forced me to make the decision: what now? And I don't care what level you're at, you'll get this. You're a race car driver. 
I, it doesn't matter what level you the realization hits you that you can't compete anymore. It hurts. It's like this void, and you have to figure out how to fill that void. And I had this friend that suggested to me that I walk into what's called sports information at my school. It's like the public relations for the athletic department. And I really poured myself into that. And that then transpired into some newspaper work as a college student. Uh, I worked for the Roanoke Times, which um, uh, is in Virginia, where I grew up. And I covered high school sports for them. That then led me to covering Virginia Tech for the Washington Post as a senior in college. And then that led to my first job out of college, which was in Lynchburg, Virginia, covering Liberty University Athletics and NASCAR racing. And I'll never forget the very first race I went to professionally. I was floored, man, because it was at Richmond International Raceway, and I was sitting on a pit wall during cup practice. And Jeff Gordon goes by. The three car goes by. I'm like, that is Jeff. That's really Jeff Gordon. That's really Dale Earnhardt. That's really Rusty Wallace. I couldn't believe it. It was crazy. And so I was at Lynchburg for like eight, uh, maybe a year, I think. And then I got hired by NASCAR.com. Came down here and worked for NASCAR for 18 months. Turner Sports bought NASCAR.com's rights. Went to work for Turner. Was at Turner for four years, and then ESPN called. Here I am. Uh, My path to ESPN is as unorthodox (laughs) as it can be because, listen, God bless those, all the local reporters. They work their tails off and in in often thankless positions. And I was very fortunate that I had really ingrained myself in the culture of NASCAR and gotten to know a lot of guys like Junior, Elliot Sadler, Jimmy Johnson, Matt Kenseth, Hank Parker Jr. Those guys were my buddies. And when ESPN was coming back in, I got a call from them, and they were like, hey, we understand that you kind of really know what's going on we would like to talk to you about a position because in 2007 we're going to come back into the sport. And I actually said to him, I'm like, man, I'm flattered, but I think you got the wrong guy. <laughs> There's a guy named Marty Snyder who I think you might have meant to call. And they were like, nah, man, everybody says you're the guy. And they, I jumped in with both feet, obviously. ESPN doesn't call and you say no. Right. And I've been so fortunate to have just really enjoyed my time there and had great opportunity. It's awesome. It is awesome. You're, that's why I called you awesome. It well, it's awesome. awesome. It is awesome. When was your first introduction to the NASCAR when you talked about? As a kid? Uh, as uh, In terms of being a fan? Well, in terms of your in terms of a job. Oh, uh, my first job out of college. Yeah. And so how long has that been? 1998. 1998. Okay. Yep. So I've really, this is kind of my 17th season. That's crazy, isn't it? I know. I feel like a fossil. <laughs> Me too. <laughs> uh, you know, uh, but I, we've seen so much. You've seen way more than I've seen, but to have seen this shift... When I started, the world was different out here in NASCAR. Um, there was a different level of checks and balances, in my opinion, between the driving core and the sanctioning body. And there was a lot less corporate influence than there is now. That was starting then, but it wasn't certainly wasn't what it is now. And the dollars are crazy now, and the television revenue is crazy now. And I don't think we have enough blue-collar badasses anymore. <laughs> Like, that's why I love NASCAR. If they could just see you in your flannel shirt and yeah, your boots and your right. jeans. That's who we are, Kelly. <laughs> I know we are. I had to dress up today. 
my heels and my jacket. Well, you look nice. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> had to go to an attorney's office this morning, so that's always, you know, look the part. I kept wearing like? flannel and boots I'm, in there. <laughs> all right. I know that you brought me here to question me, but. I'm, no, because I do. But don't I'm change journalist. the subject now. Oh, you're. I know. That's I got, exactly where I was going okay. to. I have a lot of questions. You have a lot of questions for me? Yeah. Okay. I'll let you ask a question, but I want to I wanna understand that part of you as a journalist first. What What's your philosophy as a journalist? Because I've talked to several people, Wendy Venturini, Dave Moody on the show, and because you work for a network who obviously wants to report, you know, the latest and greatest, like how, how does that work for you? Two very fundamental things in journalism, fairness and accuracy. Because if you're fair and you're accurate, no matter what the story is, the subject whom you're covering, when they're in solitude, looking in that mirror in their own eyes, brushing their teeth, they're going to go, he's right. And they can't be, they might be mad that it was disseminated publicly, but they know you're right. And if you're fair in the way that you report, if you're contextually accurate, and all those, those are all premises for me. And passion. I just... I, you have that. <laughs> yeah. I, I just... I think if you have that, then you're going to sort of transcend the... I guess you're going to take that story into somebody's living room. You, you will them to pay attention to what you're saying. And I take a lot of pride in that. And that comes across... That comes across from you on television, which I Thank is you. while That's you're still doing this, right? <laughs> so do you ever have situations where the network says they want you to do it this way, report it this way or not? Or it's No, that you, never happens. Never happens. Uh, they trust my judgment. Yeah. yeah. There's and, a lot of flack for media. Oh, yeah. Right now, just reporting on everything. Now, I'm just not talking about NASCAR, but, you know, just world, the worldly politics. I will say this. My, my confidence at ESPN has grown dramatically during my tenure there. And I think that's pervasive in any profession. But the way I approached a news story in 2006 and the way I approach a news story now are not the same right. thing. I have this great story that everybody's heard at this point, but I'll share it for because it's, con it's good in context. I have just started at ESPN in 2006. It's when Jimmy Johnson broke his arm on that golf cart. And I learned the story. I called Johnson. He confirmed the story for me. And I told him, dude, I work for ESPN now. i got to report this story. And he's like, man, you can't do that. And I said, I have to. That's my job. And so we, you know, I, I reported it. He was livid. I can remember being on the phone on SportsCenter with my phone blowing up. And I'm looking at it while I'm talking into it. And, and it's Johnson. Jimmy Johnson. Pissed. <laughs> and very long story short, uh, once all of that, I mean, it took us a couple months to work our way through it, but it ended up making us better friends and better, uh, our, our professional relationship grew dramatically. We had greater respect for one another at the end of it because I wasn't wrong. Right. And I think he knew he made some mistakes there. So that's the way I look at it. I feel like if you are accurate, now if you go out there and you report something that's erroneous, well, that's on you right? and your credibility. That, nothing matters more to me than credibility. That's it. If you don't have that, then you got nothing as a journalist. So how did the story uh, come together, this piece that you just did on Dale, which I got to finally oh. see today? Uh, I missed pre-race. That's good. It how did awesome? it come together? Uh, I'll say this. You know, you always hear race car drivers say it's a team sport, and a piece like that is no really no different. Because ESPN came to me, they wanted me to get Junior. They wanted me to sit him down, talk about turning 40, you know, reminisce on what he was and what he's become and that maturation process and why, all those things. And I wanted to do that. But I knew 
like here's the thing. I I have interviewed your brother more than anybody else in my career. And we've gone deep, man. Like that interview we did after he won Poke Sweat Pocono, when he was looking at me and saying, I was a bad friend. <laughs> it was always about me. I mean, that takes a lot of guts to say that. So you, you take a step back and you go, okay, I know what my employer desires from me, and I don't want to be redundant to the subject, so how do I get there? And that I take that very seriously. So I text Junior. I said, what? I said, ESPN wants me to set you down. I want to take you to Metrolina and sit you down in those grandstands that are grown up and really immerse ourselves in that passion you have for the history. And Junior's not an all-caps texter, but he was an all-caps texter. He was awesome. stoked. <laughs> so I knew that we had that part of it handled. And then I started working with my producer, Lauren Stowell, who actually won an Emmy. Do you rem- Did you ever see the piece on Richie Parker? Yes. Oh, gosh. She did yes. that piece. Yes. Tremendous yes. piece. Yes. Yes. For those of you who may not know about Richie, he's the Hendrick Motorsports engineer who doesn't have arms or hands, obviously. Uh, does everything with his feet. Brilliant man. Uh, if you haven't seen that piece, go YouTube. But Lauren yes. did a tremendous job. It is tremendous. So Lauren and I start working together, piecing our, 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 our philosophy together and our concept. We get that, get the track booked, Dale shows up, and then we just go. Um, I have a I, – I study and I prepare like OCD.com. But for whatever reason, I rarely even get to it. Because I like to listen and hear what the subject has to say and then just go from there. Yeah, same thing for this show. You know, we come up with ideas and thoughts and questions. But usually if if you're doing it good, I think that's how it transpires. Exactly. It's conversational, yeah. not yeah. Yeah. A, B, C, yeah. D. Exactly. Right. Exactly. And he was, I don't know what my expectations were. I knew that we would have fun because of the setting. But I will be honest with you, I have known him well I've known him for 15 or 16 years. I've known him really well for 10. I never drinking beers, nothing, have ever heard him say I was living off my legacy and my last name. I've never heard that either. <laughs> when he said it, time stopped. I mean, I was sitting there, and it came out of his mouth, and I just kind of I, – I, I'm glad that he continued speaking because I wouldn't have known where to go. Uh, I was floored, and I was uh, – I know this is the wrong word, but I was almost humbled – in the in the way he said it, because it was so raw mm-hmm. and honest, and that was what I got back from the fans that saw it. Was that's why they love him? That is that's what I was going to say. That is why they love him. It is raw and honest. Anytime it comes out, <laughs> it's awesome. It is because in you know I <clears throat> I haven't interviewed a ton of athletes outside of NASCAR. I will in my future. I haven't yet. But I dare you to try to find me an athlete, certainly of his popularity level, that's willing to do that. Put it out there. That's, it, it's really, the, the impact that has on people is so wide-reaching because it, 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 it endears him to them. And they say, if he's willing to go there, then that impacts my insecurities. Mm-hmm. And it helps me look in the mirror and go, damn, I can probably, I can look at myself and admit that too. Because it's one thing to do it by yourself. Yeah. To tell the world, rah, yeah, it's awesome. No, it is awesome. <laughs> it also, it, it's a, it's, I'm it's all fired lost. up, Kelly. No, it's lost, too, in these days, you know. It is. It, is. it really is. I, I mean, I, I think gazillions of people out there want that of people, but people aren't willing to give it. And so when you see someone give it, you're like, yeah, that, well, took, that's it. Look how long I mean, it took Junior. Yeah, that's it. I, don't, I didn't ask him this in the moment. I've not asked him in the aftermath, but I would love to know 
when that moment was that he realized, like, or or maybe he didn't realize, but was was willing to admit it to himself. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Because I know those low points, uh, as dynamic as the interview was at Metrolina, that interview we did at Pocono was every bit as dynamic to me because it's another admission, self-admission to say I was a bad friend. Man, that's not easy to say. <laughs> no, it's not. And I just, I don't know. <laughs> I just, you know, he's a great dude. and oh, He is pretty cool. I just appreciate cool. his honesty. Now I'm going to quit kissing his ass. Oh, gosh. <laughs> well, I was going to ask you who your favorite person was to interview, but you might have <laughs> <just, laughs> just went there. Uh, <laughs> no. My favorite person to interview, uh, other than my five-year-old daughter. Oh, gosh. She's a trip. I want to talk about your kids. My kids, man, they are a mess. They are a mess. There's nothing that <laughs> humbles you more than being a parent because – no matter how much you think you know and no matter how much control you think you have over these little people, man, you don't. No, they're always teaching you. Yes. <laughs> and you think that you can impose your will upon them, but you lose. <laughs> and, you know, it's it's if you make a bad decision in your profession, that has ramifications. But making bad decisions as a parent, you're raising another human Yeah. to be to contribute to society. That and has to ramifications kind of, too. <laughs> like big major league ones. And I think about that every day and I pray to God that I'm doing it right. I know. But they're I, awesome. I, I do that same prayer every day. And most people, a lot of people I've had on here, we, we've we discussed all that with Delana and all. I mean, gosh, being a parent is the absolute toughest thing it is. in this world. It I is always say it's worry, the worry, worry. hardest, most rewarding job it, on, yeah. on the planet. It is very rewarding. So Cameron, Mia, and Vivi. Vivi. Yep. Her Vivi. name's Vivian. Vivi. We call her Vivi. Uh, eight, five, and two. Eight, Cameron and two. will be nine next month. It's uh, it's Wild Kingdom. It, it's I, I mean, I, my home is Wild Kingdom, and I give. I say this all the time. I give my wife so much credit because stay-at-home mom is the hardest job in the world. There's no off switch. They are constantly badgering. You're constantly in carpool lines. You're constantly going to practices. And they always want something. I mean, if it's not if it's not making dinners, it's doing laundry, it's whatever, right? My endorsement cannot be higher <laughs> for ladies and, and gentlemen, mm-hmm. men There's that Mr. do Moms, that. Yep, yep. I give them all the credit in the world. Lainey went to see her sisters who just both had babies within the last month for a week of the Kansas race. So I had these children. And Lainey will roll her eyes that I'm telling you this because she's like, why do you always tell people when you're alone with the kids? I do it all the time. But I had them for five days alone, right? I was ready. I was so ready for her to come home. I managed all right. But, I mean, it's like a tornadic event happened in my home. Yeah. (laughs) You're running around. I just had the three kids last week because LW was off hunting. And the same thing, like, I'm running around Saturday, like, cleaning up, picking up. Like, (laughs) this place has to be put back together. It's hard. You want them to think that you had it under control, right? Exactly. So. It. See, that's the game. The game is you make sure it looks pristine when they come home. You're like, hey. They don't know how you did it exactly all week. They don't right. need to know how you did it all week. But Saturday, it was all picked <laughs> up. So how how do you guys make that work in your situation uh, with traveling and everything? Selflessness, patience, <laughs> respect. We are, we've really grown together. And Lainey actually said, did you have Kim Burton on here? I did. Oh, my gosh. She was amazing. That's what yes. Lainey actually quoted her to me. The The reason that she and Jeff have worked all this time is that they've been willing to be selfless enough to respect one another's passions and how those passions evolve. Yep. 
If you don't evolve, you fail. Yep. She said, she said, I want the best for my husband and my husband wants the best for me. That's it. Period. And that's exactly how Lainey and I are. And I am so fortunate that I was, uh, that, that God chose this partner for me when I was 19 years old and I'm 38 now and she has put up with me. I was an idiot for a long, I'm still an idiot. I was really an idiot for a while. And she has been just there, man. And she's tolerated it. And she, I have never loved her more. I have never uh, been, had more fun with her. We're, it, she's just awesome, man. Are, we, are you, you wanting to add more kids to the brood? Then? Lord, three no. <laughs> Three's enough. That's Three's enough, man. <laughs> that is enough. Laney's one of six. Oh, goodness. So that I think her initial plan was we were going to have six kids. <laughs> And then we got to three and realized that the doors fell off the bus. And Ooh, it's a lot of work. Three's good. Yeah, a lot, a lot of work. If you're going to keep doing what you're doing, and she's going to keep doing what you're doing, three is. Right. Three I want to. It's a lot. I'm, like, I have this problem, man. I want to win. <laughs> if I do it, I want to win it. And that includes my job. And therefore, you know, she, again, she has to be invested. And she she's awesome, man. We've talked in the weeks past about the start of hunting season. It's here. We can't talk about it anymore. (laughs) And how Charlie's Soap is the perfect scent-free detergent that you can use for your hunting apparel. But if you are an avid hunter, Charlie's Soap can help in other ways. You can use their kitchen and bath cleaner on many items. It'll get the heavy soil off of weapons, cleaning tools, tents, boots, and many other items that you may use on your hunting trip. And just like the laundry soap, the kitchen and bath cleaner will leave behind no residue and no scent. You can purchase all the Charlie Soap products on their website at charliesoap.com, and you can also use their store locator to find a local retailer near you. We're turning the tables today on Ask Kelly, and Marty's going to ask Kelly. I think this is good. I think this will be cool. We've, we've actually kind of talked about this, about someone asking, yeah, turning it up to me. So I've always wondered. What like, you got? I, oh, no. What you got? First of all, I'll say that, you know, <laughs> that your old man, the whole intimidator thing. Well, yeah, we do need to talk about that, too, because that's why I asked how long you had been around. So you you inherited that. <laughs> like, man, Junior never intimidated me ever his whole life. But Kelly, like for fifteen, like ten years, she she scared the hell out of me. And I don't even know why. I That's don't. So you just, funny. There are certain people who just have that ability to look at you, and you just wonder, like, <laughs> do they want to whip my butt or what? And you have someone that, else just told me that. In you business. have that trait. Yeah. They're, they're, I'm working on some business with somebody else, and he's like, I'm really scared to sit down and have this conversation with you. And I'm, why? I've never even done business with you. Why are you scared of me? And he's like, I just don't know. I'm just scared of you. Yes. There are, there, I mean, Alrighty. you definitely have that. You have that aura. And uh, I want, okay, I'll start real simple. What's your favorite childhood memory of your dad? I really want to tell one that I can't. <laughs> it's bad. Oh, gosh. The th- I mean, there there are so many awesome. My dad was really cool as a parent, kind of. I guess he was really a hard ass too. So I'm saying that in the same sentence. Amanda, how that how that comment yeah. just go? That just went from my dad was no, really my cool, dad was kind of sorta sometime. not really. <laughs> so my dad was really a hard ass. He expected a lot out of us, but you could find him in these moments that he was just being like the cool friend. And I can't tell the joke, but we were riding in a dump truck on his farm and I I would do anything which we all the kids would do anything to to you know get alone time with him because it was precious and and very little of it and so we're riding in this dump truck and he kind of treated me like one of the boys so to speak you know and they would cut up and you know 
talk ugly and all kind of stuff. You know, if you're a girl hanging around the shop, that's just what happened. And he tells me this joke, and I cannot repeat the joke at all. I just cannot do it. But but you remember it verbatim. I remember it vividly, and it was about eating broccoli, and I'm going to leave it at that. <laughs> and I just about fell over. Like, and and those moments, another one just popped in my head when my dad in 82 broke his knee, I think. Pocono. Pocono. Um, how did, I don't even know how he made it out of that thing. Yeah. And uh, car left. so he had a waterbed and he was all laid up in his waterbed. And this was before he married Teresa. And Dell and I had moved in with him the year before. And I can remember I was the caretaker, right, of everyone. And I would, we drank high sea orange juice all the time. And so I'd, you know, get up and get high sea orange juice for dad and bring it in his room and everything. And one morning we laid in the bed and watched Animal House at like four o'clock in the morning. <laughs> like those were the moments. That's awesome. You know? I mean, I wonder why, like, I feel like dads today seem more accessible because I didn't have that. I didn't have a whole lot of time with my dad either. He was always working. Yeah. Well, it, you know, they're accessible. It's more acceptable today. That's a good point. Right. Yeah, that's true. Culture's changed. Yeah. That's absolutely so, true. You know, dads were nine to five and or whatever they did and the breadwinners and the workers and the whatever. And it was OK. And the relationships that they had. And now the world's going, oh, well, you got to have more time for this. and You got to do this. and You got to. Yeah. And it was think about the things you read for parenting, you know, and right. the lessons that they tell you about parenting. And you're like, my parents didn't raise me that That's way. Exactly right. <laughs> and it, it was also understood that. When your daddy came home, there was food on the table, yeah. and they—I mean, yep. he sat in his yep. recliner and watched yep. the news. Yep, and you gave him that space. We come home and get handed worked. a baby. <laughs> That's, <right. laughs> That's true. It's true. So That's how it worked. just how mischievous was Junior? Oh, mischievous! Um, like how big of a pain in the rear end was he? He was a pain. He, hopefully, he doesn't get mad because I say this, but we both wanted our dad's attention. I went about it positively: make A's, do what he said, clean up your room. You know, and believe me, dad didn't say, oh, great job cleaning up your room. It was expected. And then, you know, something else happened later where he went, oh, well, you've cleaned your room and you've done this and this, so I'll give you this. Dale did it the opposite way from the negative way. Let me hide this cereal bowl under my bed. Oh, let me get 50 of them under there before they see if they catch me, <laughs> you know, and then get in trouble, you know. So he stayed in trouble a lot, but I guess that was his way of, you know, getting the attention from that standpoint so in those days when you two are running around together and you're doing your best to show him the right way what percentage and i know it's hard to to look at this in retrospect because you were young too but yeah what percentage would you have given him that he would have made it to become a two-time daytona 500 champion win 20 whatever races be the most popular driver look your old man was insanely popular right I ain't sure he ain't more popular. <laughs> well, I've I've said this before. I never, you know, Dale, when he was a little kid, wanted to be a football player. And we're like, no way, Jose. You're too little. <laughs> you're too short. <laughs> you're never going to do that. And when he wanted to be a race car driver, I mean, really, I, I just, I didn't think he had it in him. Shy, you know, individual. And even, you know, up until really the last, I'd say, good five years, has he really come out sure. from that, you know? Like, well, he's obviously, you know, opened up to you and, and all those things. But, yeah, no, I um wouldn't have seen it. What how, what kind of transition did you see in him in 98 when he got in that Bush car and just started winning everything? And, I mean, how did, how did their relationship evolve at that time? Well, then it was, you know, getting the pat on the backs from Dad that he wanted. My son, proud of you. You know, this is th – that that's what Dale – seeked from my dad and he started getting it and you know the world was right because 
you know, dad was smiling and patting him on the back and, you know, going after it the next week and paying attention. So how do you balance being a mom and running a three team? <laughs> Lots what, of help. What has become a juggernaut in the Nationwide yeah. Series? All those things that you said, right? Patience and, and selflessness just help. And for me, I've had to learn to take a step back and say no and get my priorities straight. Because, you know, like you said about your job and, and you want to win at everything that you do, you know, my world for the longest time was my job, Dell Jr., and my two girls. You know, now I've added a marriage and another little boy. And then these teams, which is much greater than Dell's brand and the things that I did prior to this and, you know, all these people and everything to take it forward. So lots of help, lots of good people to help nanny and a husband and good people here that help and understand and just talking yourself through it. Other than going to uh, see lawyers. What's the typical oh, day? Gosh. Is there even a typical day in your <laughs> life? Gosh, you know, I, I start my mornings at 6.15. I get myself ready, uh, get the kids up, pack lunches, make breakfasts, take my girls to school, then come here. And it's usually just meetings and kind of the strategist, you know. So everybody under me that works is, you know, taking care of whatever their piece of the business is and then coming to me saying, well, I've thought about this. Will this work? Do you agree with this? Do you? So that's kind of the cop and strategist of the business, I guess. I'm of the mind that Mike Davis is a business mogul. I love Mike Davis. I do too. Yeah, he's great. Are you um, surprised at the monstrous success of the Dirty Mo Radio <laughs> Empire? Mike Davis is like <laughs> the funniest creative the things that he's he brilliant. Comes up, I mean, yeah, the things that he comes up with are just incredible. Now, he can drive us crazy from not answering an email. <laughs> he's on his tractor. He's got his priorities right. But, um, but I mean, his creativity is just, uh, you, I can't put a price on it and can't measure it. And and he knows Dale inside and out from being with him so long. And I would look at him to, under my wing, from a successor type standpoint of, you know, the brand and that kind of thing. If there's somebody that needs to do that one day. <laughs> Had you pursued it hard, how confident are you you could have driven at the highest level? I I hate the question like that because I hate to toot my own horn. But I wow, think I, it's your show. I know, but I that's think, the whole I reason I, for it. I know. I think I could <laughs> do it, but I just I I'm just not. I hate bragging, but and I, I you know I don't know. You can take it how you want, brag, boast, being confident, whatever it is. But I think that I could have done it, and you know the why didn't you? Because Nobody wanted a girl around. And so we were racing, my brothers and I, in 94, 5, and 6, late model racing. You know, I, I didn't set the world on fire, but neither did Dale Jr. You know, Dale won three races of a three-year period. But I think that I could have been most of the package of my dad, if that makes sense. So f from the personality standpoint and people, and the competition side, I laugh because they, my crew would always tell me, you know, you drive too hard down into the corner, you know, you, you got to let off to, to go a little faster and be a little smoother, and then John Force is like, come get my drag car, maybe you should just be a drag <laughs> racer, and uh, and then I got pregnant with my first child, so that didn't work out too well, I was going to go out there and uh, test with him, and I was like, oh, we got a small problem, John, I'm pregnant, you know, I think I could have done it, I really do, it just, I was in college, working in my dad's business, Getting promoted within that business, nobody wanted a girl to do it, you know. I mean, it was it was tough. Man. Yeah. 
And I, you know, See, several I've gone years turn, ago, I'm yeah. going to turn your show yeah. on you. Yeah. And yeah. I just learned so much. <laughs> yeah. Yay. That's awesome. All right. Well, what time is it? Because I know you got to get back to dad duty, right? I gotta, <laughs> time to go to practice, I, I guess. Know. So in your spare time, you run marathons. I do. How often is that? Uh, <laughs> I've time? done, you know, I just did Boston in April. Wow. And the reason that I did that, I mean, I was really inspired, but it was actually Johnson. Jimmy Johnson yeah. got me into it, and he had decided that he wanted to do it. Ultimately, couldn't. I had already committed, so I wasn't going to back out. And I went ahead and did it, and it was, not to sound hokey, trite, one of the most spiritual days of my life. To see those people in Boston tear their town back from the hands of that cowardice was so inspiring. I mean, a million and a half people lined the streets yeah, that day. Imagine. And we're from the South. So we can't really respect what Patriots Day is for them. It's the biggest day of the year in New England. And for those guys with those bombs to pull that, uh, they tried to dent that passion, and Boston wouldn't let them. And to have been a part of that, and there's so many things that stand out about that day. I'm not sure if you're familiar with Dick and Rick Hoyt's story. Mm -hmm. I passed him during the race. Yeah, he He pushes his son. I mean, look, this guy, 74 years old. Uh, Rick is in his 50s, and he's pushed him for 32 straight years yeah. in that race. And to see the people losing their minds as I passed them and just to be able to tell them they were badass, that stands out so much. And when I got to the finish line, I was really cramped up. And I got to the finish line, and Laney had written in black Sharpie my name on my forearm right here. So people are hollering your name the whole way. But I hear this name, and I look over, and I just think it's a random person, but it was my buddy Brian Smigelski, who is Boston PD whom I met through my friend Jake Peavy, who's pitching in the World Series right now, go Giants. <laughs> well, I said, Smig, come hug me. I need a hug. So he hugs me. I'm cramped up. I just want to sit down. He's like, man, you can't. Finally, I have to sit. This doctor comes over and says, young man, if you can't walk, you got to go to the hospital. you got two choices. And I said, I'm getting up. I came here to run for people who can't. Smig, get me up. So he got me up, and he looked at his friend, and he said, you man my post. I'm taking my friend to his family. Oh, my gosh. So he walked me all the way to Laney, and I looked at him, and I said, I know this might be inappropriate, but I cannot imagine the way I feel right now, the pain I'm in right now, that those people felt one year ago, and that bomb went off, and they ran into the fire, and they ripped off their shirts, and they made tourniquets, and they saved lives. Unbelievable, man. Man, what a day. That's powerful. Uh, it'll be with me forever. That was an awesome day. I may run it next April. I got clearance from Mama. But she said, <laughs> she said, this is your last one. Stop running. Last time. Do you run daily, weekly? I do. Yeah, I run a yeah, lot. Yeah. And I cycle as well. Uh, I'm a, I swim like an anvil. So I do triathlons, <laughs> but the swimming part is a bit of a, a challenge. Uh, I love to cycle as well. I'm just like, I love fitness. I love yeah. nutrition. And that's good when what you live kind on of road. Eater, What kind of uh, uh, eater are you? I'm... Very really healthy. Have, I'm a pain. Yeah, yeah. I'm a pain. I'm the guy that at the restaurant says uh, I got like nine different requests of the waitress. But uh, I don't know. From, I, from a healthy aspect, are you like organic and all that kind of stuff too, non-GMO, all that I'm, mess too? Or, I'm that yeah. too to yeah. a degree. Yeah. Uh, there are certain things I will hedge on, but there's a lot of things I won't hedge on. Because, man, there's a lot of really bad stuff there out is, there. There is. How about your kids? Do you, you uh, pass that on to them and have them eat? I, they can eat ice cream yeah, all yeah. they want. Uh, we do. I mean, we have, ice cream's milk. That's right. That's exactly right. You sound like Cameron. That's like it's Cam, Cam's dairy, Daddy. That's part of what they tell me at school. Right. 
Um, of course, I let them eat. Well, they eat chicken nuggets and hot dogs, <laughs> but I try to give them gluten-free chicken nuggets. <laughs> <laughs> Full disclosure. Because it's bad stuff, man. I know. We do that, too. We do the, you know, the no nitrates. And yeah. we try not to do the food colorings, fruit snacks. And, you know, just introduce what you can. That's right. I mean, because there's so much that you can't control. And If they don't know any better yeah. and they like it, then yeah. you're not slighting them anything. Right, exactly. And I take them to the TCBY and they a pig. It's cool. <laughs> <laughs> Good stuff. Good stuff. All right. Well, I think we should be out of time so that we can both get to uh the rest of our day maybe we'll have to have a part two i had fun i know thank you for taking oh. time out to do it i so appreciate it. thank you laney big fan laney's a big having fan. having my back and uh i want to hang out with you more i'm gonna stuff. come back next time i'll bring beer all right <laughs> bring me i'll wear my boots let me know love it all right well thank you for joining us today on fast lane family presented by charlie soap and i hope you'll listen up next week Thanks for listening to Dirty Mo' Radio. I appreciate everyone tuning in to Fast Lane Family, presented by Charlie Soap today. Now go visit charliesoap.com and check out their unbelievable line of cleaning products. Tackle some of your toughest cleaning projects and help support this wonderful sponsor of Dirty Mo' Radio. Again, that's charliesoap.com.